and welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Della Coltman. I'm joined by Tyler Walzak. And Tyler, it's been a few weeks. In fact, it's been the longest break so far this season, and it felt like like ages, ages. But now we're going into like the busy part of the schedule. We got like three weeks in a row, one week off, two or three weeks in a row. It's going to get really, really exciting here uh, through May into June. Lots of racing to be done. Lots of upgrades coming, lots of news and lots of stories. But when we look at where we just were in Azerbaijan, where do we start? Um, well, you can say that I'll apologize for this podcast because we might be a little bit rusty, but so was Pierre Gasly. So was Nick DeVries in that uh, first qualifying session. Those guys had red flags um, and weren't able to get out of Q1 because of accidents. Uh, I would say we'll start with maybe the format of this weekend is probably what everybody in the world is kind of talking about. Did it work? Did it not work? Is there a benefit to it? Because you've kind of taken away the advantage of these races meaning something every day. It means more for the next day. Now it kind of doesn't mean, I mean, it means a little bit, but it doesn't, it doesn't help the actual Grand Prix. Yeah. And what, I think what's is weird a, is. I feel I feel badly because we didn't do a good job, I feel like, last episode explaining the new changes to Sprint. Because to be fair, I wasn't even fully aware of how it had all changed. Like, this was a lot of learning. We have now this new Sprint format where you've got the shootout, which is basically, pardon me, but you go a step further back. We have qualifying on Friday, yeah. traditional qualifying. Now, in previous years, last year, they would do the qualifying, and then that would set the grid for the sprint, which was the qualifying for the race. Now, we've added a new thing on the Saturday. We've got the shootout, which is basically another faster qualifying for the grid for the sprint. And then the sprint is worth points, but only for the top eight, and it doesn't have an impact whatsoever on the Grand Prix, which is what you're just saying. Yeah, so basically... Because it's like now we've just added a baby race into the middle of a weekend hundred no consequence, other than a few points to be given out. 100%. It almost feels like an all-star weekend in any other sport where it's you've just all you've done now is add a very short um basically 12 hours to your weekend. So Friday you qualify for the Sunday race and then you do a qualifying and race for the sprint all in one day. It, it, I don't know what value it adds because they they said that they want it to just be so that the guys can kind of not worry about it affecting Sunday. But isn't that more exciting to have something that does affect Sunday instead of like a completely, we know what's good. The grid's going to be on Sunday. So I don't understand the point of this little mini race in between the weekend. You're only giving away eight to one points. I get that they're important and it just so happens to be important because Red Bull's dominating. And we're probably going to end up going down to which yeah, Red Bull racers are going to win the championship. A hundred percent. But it does feel like it's taken some of the stakes out of what was very exciting, in my opinion, with the sprint qualifying, because yeah. now you had opportunities for some guys who aren't necessarily in the kind of cars that can qualify as well as some of the fast cars. Like last year, we saw examples of the sprint really making a difference for teams like Mercedes who were struggling with just qualifying speed. But all of a sudden, the sprint gave them an opportunity because they had better race pace to get out there and use strategy and be able to overtake and like that for me was exciting. And I feel like a little bit of that's gone. Now you could argue there's still some like stakes to it in the sense that like, if you damage your car on Saturday, it's going to affect your Sunday, but then are we just making the whole sprint kind of more conservative anyway? And that was, I think kind of their plan was that they wanted guys, they wanted the, the racers to be more aggressive in the sprint race and not have to worry 
about if a crash takes them out for the next day, but they're still worried about it. I mean, we've seen in this first example, Verstappen was very worried about it, whereas Russell wasn't so much. So it's kind of like a, I don't, I just don't understand the point of it. We talked so much on this show over the last couple of years about how amazing it was for Lewis Hamilton to take that engine penalty in Brazil, use the qualifying, start at the back during the sprint race, get back up halfway. And then the next day on the Grand Prix, use his start from the, the finish of the sprint race to help him win the race in Brazil. One of the, one of my more memorable favorite weekends of all time is that race. And they've completely nullified that ability to take into account and kind of come up with a game plan where you can use these weekends to actually help your change your engines or help switch your fuel systems so that you can take this penalty and still help yourself get back to the top. Now we're just doing qualifying where all the same guys are going to be at the top every single time. And you're just going to have a shorter race to do the same thing, but you're not going to take into advantage or into account for the sprint races. The fact that you can use pit stops to your advantage that doesn't exist in the sprint races. It's literally just whoever's there, whoever can get past those first two or three turns and then not make a mistake is I, I don't see the benefit of it. I mean, we've had, we had, it was exciting because of what happened with Russell and Verstappen. But without that, I, to me, I'd rather go back to what it was last year because I found those to be the most exciting weekends. We talked about it at the, the, our finale on the season last year, which, which ones do we want? We also both said one of our dream scenarios would be a sprint race in Azerbaijan. They gave us that, but they kind of neutered it. Like they they, they kind of softened the whole thing. And I just feel like it wasn't as exciting. Well, I mean, it is what it is. Let's let's for a second pivot to what we know happened in the sprint. The biggest story coming out of it was obviously the battle between Verstappen and George Russell. George Russell, very aggressive at the beginning of the race, but to be fair, had the inside on both of those two corners, Max trying to go around the outside. And it was interesting. I would like to get your perspective because I'm a little more partisan as a Mercedes fan, but it was interesting to see how like whiny and snivelly our classic Max Verstappen radio calls were. And then how like passive aggressive the Red Bull team was the rest of the way when it's like, guys, they're racing. You're in a race car. Yeah. It just, it makes me very frustrated with Max Verstappen. And I know a lot of people love him, but last year we didn't see the bitchy side of Max Verstappen because he was so dominant and now he gets in one little altercation, which doesn't affect him in the long run of that race. And he is such a bitch about it. Him and Horner always gasses him up about it too. Like at the end of the sprint, I think he said, well done, Max, even with an injured car. Dude, what do you, like, yep. Max Verstappen used to do this all the time when Ricardo was still at Red Bull. And now it happens to him one time and all of a sudden he forgets about everything. He said after this race that... Russell knows that they don't have a car that can keep up to pace. So why is he risking it when he knows I can pass him in like four or five laps? Dude, that's on you at that point. If you know you have a faster car than Russell and Mercedes, why are you going into that corner with Russell and get him two laps later? Even Sergio Perez said that after the race. He said, well, I mean, Max knows he has a faster car. So why didn't he just wait two laps and do it then instead of causing damage to his car? Like, I, I just don't understand what his thought process is. And are we then saying, hey, Max, because you have the fastest car, nobody should race? Yeah. If, if you're faster than everybody, what's the point of everyone else being out there yeah. if they're not going to be more aggressive to try to get that position? Well, That's why if you have a slower totally. car, you have to have a game plan. That's why Alonzo is so brilliant. Yeah. It, I mean, two points on it. One, I agree with you that Max – I mean, look, Red Bull complained all week 
leading up to this about how unfair the sprint was going to be in Azerbaijan and how it could very possibly compromise their final results in the Grand Prix because somebody could do something or they could get, they could crash. It was, it was an unsafe place to be doing this. The most aggressive driver out there was Max Verstappen. Like he's the one trying to make two overtakes on the outside. What are you doing? Yeah. Don't, don't then go complain about the choice to have a sprint there or then start to blame other drivers. Every single time anything happens to Max, regardless of what his role in it was, it's the other guy's fault. And sure, that's not uncommon in race car drivers. We know that these are guys who have very uh, large uh, opinions of themselves. But at the end of the day, like he put himself in that position twice and, yeah. and then came out of it just whining and complaining about the other guy. And I actually would like to say, and again, I admit I'm partisan here, but I think George actually handled it perfectly. Like George let him yell at him. He walked away at all of the press, con- the, po- the post press conversations were all like, well, I mean, if it was reversed, you really think that I would have done it. Like yeah. I would have pulled out. I don't understand what Max is doing. Like, he, he never sort of like, you know, copped to suggesting he'd done something wrong because he hadn't. And he never, you know, he just didn't play into yeah. what Red Bull was trying to get a rise out of him. And they're like, we're, we're above this. They just, he took the high road and, and, and the inside line. And in both situations, I think he was in the right. And he was, you're right. The way Russell handled this was perfect. At the end of the race, during the interviews, he said, I thought Verstappen was going to come up and say, hey, man, nice, great racing in those corners. Yeah. And he then he even brings it back, very calm, not angry, kind of just like, what are we even talking about? And I've been racing since I was eight years old. If you have the inside line at the yeah. apex of a turn, that is your turn. Yeah. It is on the other driver to figure out how to get out of it safely. So again, if this was Max Verstappen doing it, you're right. He would have been like, well, that's racing. What are you going to do? But I don't know, like the... The, the guy is just, I don't understand him and I don't like him. So let's, let's leave Max alone for a second. Uh, we have joked a few times on this show so far this year because of the Red Bull Diamonds. We don't spend a lot of time talking about them, but I do want to talk about the other driver because uh, Sergio Perez had a phenomenal weekend. He wins the sprint. He wins the Grand Prix. He had a great race. Now, Max is the victim of a little bit of bad timing in the sense that they had called him to the pits just before the safety car. That has yeah. happened. We've seen that. But, Did you... And it was weird, but, yeah. but Sergio was flawless. And again, he's the king of the streets. He's the best driver right now on the grid when it comes to street circuits. He dominates them. He loves these tracks. He's very, very good at it. And he's taking the fight now to Max. We'll talk about whether or not that's a real, a realistic thing or not. But at the moment, I mean, that was Perez's weekend perfection. I mean, you, you better believe that they're going to let Perez go into this. And we talked about this last year again, when Max refused to let Perez have two points to help him in the standings, refuse to let him do it on two different occasions, that this is going to come back and bite Max Verstappen in the long run next year because now for two years, Perez was the perfect teammate for Max Verstappen. Took that 1B job and just said, all right, I got to do whatever I got to do to make sure that Red Bull's happy that this kid wins his one championship. That's not a mistake for me to say that. And now that he's pissed off his teammate, Perez is common for that. Like this yeah. is going to come down to Red Bull versus Red Bull. Oh, yeah. And Perez is going to start ignoring their team orders team when orders, it comes yeah. down to the nitty gritty during the next, I would say even the next two or three races, we're going to start seeing a little bit of head button between those two guys. And I thought it was very strange the entire time that, that um, when that yellow flag came out and the announcer was right away, like they're going to bring out the safety car on this. They have to, I think it was yeah. DeVries that was just stopped in the middle of the track. Yeah. And for them to bring in Verstappen was very curious. 
And probably it was to avoid a conversation because Perez was catching him every lap. Perez was getting closer and closer with DRS behind Verstappen. I think they brought Verstappen in because they knew Perez had a faster car. And they also knew that the yellow flag was going to come back. And that's just that Perez was going to be faster all day. So they wanted to avoid conflict and just say, oh, so crap, we didn't think it was going to come out. I think they knew they were going to come out. I think they knew that Perez had a faster car and they just wanted to avoid this whole conversation that's going to happen until further down the road. Yeah. I, I... I think that's possible. I I also question uh, the fact that when we get the radio calls on the broadcast, they're already delayed. So we mm. don't necessarily know exactly when that call was made, whether it was made just before the debris incident and he was already coming around to that part of the lap where they would call it and they just chose not to change it because they'd already that's made true. the decision. Like that, all of that did seem to happen very quickly in like in very short succession. It also is possible that as they, I think, Crofty said on the broadcast at first it looked like DeVries had stopped but then was rolling backwards and maybe was going to be able to get the car started again so it's like I think it was one of those like split second decisions but I think you're right that they probably had he gone into the barrier like aggressively or something and it was really obvious they may have made a different decision because it was kind of close I think they made the decision they made and they 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 sort of just accepted as soon as they'd made it that they might have been wrong and they clearly were um but you know I I think it it played into Perez perfect. It played into Perez's hand perfectly, and he probably would have had Max, as you say, because he's better at, at on those circuits, and he had had a great weekend. Max at the end of the race is like, you know, congratulating him, and and it just such just so full of shit. Like the whole thing is just like you, as you said, like t- let's talk after race twenty when these two guys are like four points separating each other, and it it it, it gets down to the nitty gritty. Like it, it's going to be interesting to see how this devolves. It's obviously for the. F1 historians out there, it, 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 it's reminiscent of Nico Rosberg and Hamilton, I think in 2014, when we had sort of the, the war of the silver arrows, as they called it, when you had two teammates fighting and Nico obviously beating Hamilton to steal the world championship. And this could be a very similar story, but I wonder how long that lasts, considering the influence that Max Verstappen and the Verstappen camp has at Red Bull. They've clearly he is their champion. He's their two-time champion from their perspective. He's the guy that they have anointed as, you know, and I think there's also a lot of rumblings about, he seems to be one of those guys who might not race for a long time. I don't think it's as short as some people want to suggest that he's like got two or three years, but he might not only be here for another five or six years. Like he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's, I don't know if he wins a couple championships, he could call it a day and, and, and go chill on some yacht somewhere but he's much more likely to do that or to leave Red Bull if he feels like they're not going to just treat him like the spoiled brat that he wants to be. And that's where it gets political for them, which will be interesting to see if Perez can stick around in the fight. Two things, one or two things that happen. Perez is going to stick around in this fight and then the team won't bring him back next year or Perez backs off, is super angry and resentful of it and doesn't want to come back next year. I think this is... Watching this and seeing this happen, I don't know how Perez and Verstappen are going to last more than one year, even though they're playing very nice right now. There's no way Perez, this is his best opportunity that he'll ever get to win a world championship. And as a driver, he's going to take it. When does, when do we start seeing Daniel Ricciardo take practice sessions so that they have a little extra in the chamber Red Bull does to threaten Perez with later in the season? I mean, that would the thing about that is it's it's not only kind of like a fuck you to Perez at that point, it's to his entire team on that car. Yeah. Cause because they don't yeah. they don't give a shit if it's Perez or Verstappen. Like I bet you that Perez probably treats them better than Verstappen does. Probably. So I I 
at some point is going to like the garages are going to maybe suffer from this as well. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. All right, let's leave Mercedes alone, or pardon me, Red Bull alone for a little while because we've talked enough about them. Let's talk about Mercedes for a second. And just an interesting storyline here too with the fact that we had kind of, I don't know, they still have a long way to go clearly. But Lewis was in the fight until he also kind of got, he had a bad, bad early pit too. But it's interesting because we have this great Mercedes and Aston Martin fight shaping up here. Ferrari's kind of all over the place. They had a good weekend in some ways this weekend, but I don't know. It just feels like they can't quite fight with Red Bull and they're not quite, I don't know. They haven't quite been around, but I think that they, when we get back to Europe and they make some upgrades, it'll be interesting to see where Ferrari is. I'm going to leave Ferrari for a second, but the Aston Martin Mercedes fight is really interesting to me because you got two veterans, two world champions fighting each other every single week. You got a young driver on each team. Obviously Russell is a superior driver to stroll in almost every single way, but stroll is definitely gotten better uh this season we saw him struggle a little bit with the car earlier i think he's learning a lot from alonzo and, and we're seeing this sort of like mentor relationship beginning mm-hmm. which is interesting um i wondered what your thoughts were on that part of it and also where mercedes is we know they have bigger upgrades coming the uh estimate is that that will happen when they return to europe for imola they'll probably show up with a car with side pods um and that there'll be a massive upgrade package for that but We've seen them take little strides. I think Mercedes is one of those things where Mercedes has two drivers. So I would say Alonso, Hamilton, side by each. Yeah. And then Russell is better than Stroll, which leads to more points overall in the long run. It is cool to see the Alonso mentor type shift that he's taking with Stroll. Um, and you're hearing it in the radios, Stroll saying, uh, like, hey, tell him to to go with my braking um, balance it was probably going to help him out a lot. I mean, mind you, he did then lock up like <laughs> like two or three laps later. So I don't know if he did it and wasn't used to it, but I don't know what happened there. Um, I, so that, I think that Hamilton and Russell do get, will end up being above, but it's going to be one of those things where Alonzo is probably like top five every race. And then you see Hamilton like six, seven and Russell nine, to then being up to six or seven. So like Mercedes can go up and down a lot more, whereas you, you'll get, I think you'll get Alonso to feature the top, but Stroll always sandwich the two Mercedes in to the middle there. Um, but it's it's going to be a good race. And you're right, like Ferrari's going to be in the mix for that as well. Um, they had a great weekend, but it's going to be with Mercedes and Aston Martin. It's going to be Hamilton, Alonso, very exciting to watch every weekend because of the history with those two, the whole storyline of like how much longer do they have um, and the cars that actually can hit podiums. It's going to be, I think those two guys are going to give us a heck of a show over the next four races in the next five weeks. Uh, so let's jump around a little bit. We, we've, we can't spend all day on this race because there's lots to talk about. It was a busy weekend, but let's just do a quick run around of a couple of the teams that we just want to touch on. Obviously a very difficult weekend for Alpine. Let's leave the Ocon at the end thing. I want to talk about that at the very end here, but but when you look at how the, the weekend played out, obviously difficult for Gasly, had a struggle in in final practice or whatever it was. I think his car caught fire. They managed mm-hmm. to get his car back together for qualifying. He then crashed. I mean, yeah. I just like, I know you're a Gasly fan, but can you just for a second imagine what it was like in that garage? Like from the sounds of it, it was all hands on deck for Alpine getting into that, getting back to, to being able to drive. Even the, the the mechanics from the other side of the garage, the Ocon side, were in there trying to fix the car, get it all back together. They send him out there, and then he 
literally just destroys the front end. Like it just yeah. must have been a gut punch because you already know, <laughs> you already know that like you probably still got work to do. And now you're looking at being like, ah, now we're here all night. Well, you can even tell from after he crashed it, his first radio call is like, uh, I'm sorry, guys. Like he knows that it was like the one thing he yeah. couldn't do in qualifying was total the car. And it's the one thing he ended up doing. Um, so, but I mean, Gasly did kind of save his weekend, started to both the Alpines bad weekend overall, but they were passing cars. Like yeah. I think a 19 and a 17 start, Ocon 19, Gasly 17, and then a 14, 15 finish. So out of the points, which they should, they both know they should be in the points every race, every weekend. Um, but uh, uh, the, at least they were still competing and passing people, even though it might've been at the back of the race. That's a small win for them, but I know, I know that's bullshit. And that's just me saying sure, like, sure. because I like Alpine, sure, sure. Um, but to, to think positively moving forward, they can go on that but brutal weekend for them. Yeah. Brutal, brutal. Uh, any other thoughts about any other teams before we jump to what happened there at the end of the race? Yeah. I mean, we should talk about McLaren because their upgrades did extremely well for them. I think this was their first points this year. Yeah. Um, I think it was 10 or nine, nine, I think was uh Lando Norris and 11 for Piastri who was sick all weekend. Yeah, so he wasn't feeling those well. you can look, you can use that moving forward with McLaren, hoping that they can get back into point contention. We're going to talk more about them in a little bit because they come up later in a different segment. So we'll leave ah, them for a second. That's okay. Spoiler alert. No, yeah, exactly. No, this is a tease. It's just a tease. Uh, we will talk more about McLaren. So if you came from McLaren news, uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, anybody else before we jump to the end? I mean, obviously a difficult weekend for a few drivers and just because they didn't finish. Again, we saw some struggles there for the Alfa Romeos and uh, Zhao couldn't finish because of a mechanical issue. And Yeah, uh, man, rough to be Alfa Romeo right now. That was a that was a bad weekend for Alfa Romeo. Bad weekend for DeVries. Um, what I took out of this weekend was we got what we wanted with six sprint races. I think we were, both you and I were excited about yeah. sprint races. Um, unfortunately, I think the the format is broken, and I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm excited for any more sprint races this year. Well, it will be interesting to see if they tinker or tweak it at all now, based on how this went. Obviously. I think they're stuck with the structure that they've committed to, but it is interesting because it does feel a little bit not to believe. You couldn't even guys couldn't even it, but... enter Q3 unless they had fresh soft yeah. tires. Yeah. The whole like, thing just feels, couldn't be. It feels like when we've seen in other sports where like a decision is made to change something for a specific outcome, but in doing so you kind of, break the point of why you were doing something in the first place. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like it, 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 we've seen a lot of changes in baseball, right? And, and, for the most part, they're working really well. The idea of the pitch count is great, right? But in this situation, it's like that took how many years for baseball to sort of implement? And here, and they we're only used like it two in years in the sprint. Exactly. They tested it. They had a place to work with it. Yeah. Here, they implemented the sprint. And after only like a year and a half of doing it, they kind of were like, nah, it's not working. Let's try something new. And it's like, guys, just like try five sprint qualifying and see how it affects your season before you yeah. kind of reinvent the whole format. That's just my opinion though. Um, it's just yeah. weird to add three more and then change the whole format. Like you don't even know yeah. what you're getting yourself into and, but, and you've doubled down on it. So it's just frustrating. Jump. Cause I, I just, cause there's so much more that can go into like your game plans and your overall racing strategy yeah. for like three or four weeks at a time when you have these ability, when you have the ability to change engines and choose specific races in order to do them, you using the sprint, the old sprint format. Now that you've completely taken that away, it's just totally. 
it was so excited about to see how teams utilize that and now they can't like they they can't yeah no it's it's just like it's an add-on now as you say it's a it's a yeah it's very odd uh all right let's jump to the end of the race we couple things happened here at the end of the race that were just kind of i mean it could have been absolute disastrous that's the honest Mm -hmm. truth we could have had some severe injuries or some fatalities frankly um we'll set the stage for those who didn't quite catch what happened Ocon had not pitted now he has to pit once in the race to qualify for a place at the end otherwise he's everybody has to change tires you have to change tire one time some guys do it early obviously in his case he did it very late uh so late that in fact he wasn't even pitting during the race he was going to come in and pit and that was going to be the end of his race he would have crossed the finish line in the pit lane which is okay legal you're allowed to do that yeah, and the reason he was doing it was because they thought they were going to get a late race red that's flag. Right. They were really hoping he, he could get soft yeah, tires on, person. and yeah, that was the goal. That's why, they and they, did it. it didn't work out that way. No, in fact, we had a very clean race considering yeah. we had one safety car, but no red flags or anything at a street circuit that traditionally has given us some real carnage. So, to be fair, pretty clean racing. But what occurred on track was two things simultaneously. One, the Red Bull uh, pit crew came out and jumped up on the the fence, which is now no longer legal. So there are rules about whether or not they are allowed to climb the fence and cheer as their driver comes across the line. Now, post-race, Christian Horner claimed all of their feet were touching the ground. I didn't see that when I watched the video, but apparently that's what their argument to the FIA was. So that was number one. But while they were running across the pit lane, we also had the entire photography pool that is getting themselves set up to take photos at the during at the pit lane in like victory mm-hmm. row right i don't think that's what they call it in formula one but wherever the cars you know the three f- final cars pull up they get the nice photography moment and that was the whole idea you've got like 40 or 50 photographers there uh different accreditations or whatever but they're running across the pit lane right as Ocon comes around a blind corner and right before the line that he has to hit 80k so up until that point he's going like 120 and then he's coming around, he hits that line, he hits to hit 80K, which is the speed limit in the pit lane. But until he came around that final blind corner, he had no idea all these people were here. And I don't know who started screaming, but luckily someone started screaming early enough because most of them started moving. But there were still two or three of those guys that he missed by like seconds and yeah. could have been absolutely disastrous, would have been an absolute catastrophe. And it feels again, like one of those like near misses that you're very lucky you got away with. But at the same time, like, how did that happen? Could have went horribly wrong on the other end. If 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 they were five seconds slower, could have gone yeah. horribly, horribly. And I don't know who wrong. releases them. Like I don't know who's organizing and communicating that. But like anyone watching the race from a steward's perspective, knew Ocon hadn't pitted. They had yeah. to assume he was not just going to let himself DNF. Like they had to assume it was going to happen. There's got to be some form of communication with the marshals down there on the side to be like pit lane has to stay clean. We've got a driver who still has to pit here. And if that isn't the yeah. case, we should probably be fixing that moving forward. Hundred percent. I wonder when they're going to start. I mean, I guess the easy solve is don't let anyone just do that. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. For I sure. get why they do it. Everyone wants the shot, but I mean, come on. You just, you can't imagine if that happened in front of everybody, oh, like could have taken the, the lives whole world is watching. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's get to some hardware here. We'll hand out some race awards. Uh, I didn't actually catch who was the driver of the day, but I'm pretty sure it was the same guy we're going to give it to our driver of the day, because it was not just driver of the day. He was the driver of the whole weekend with Sergio yeah. Perez. Sergio Perez wins the sprint. He wins. Uh, the race and he was dominant the whole way king of the streets yeah yep yeah, uh, 100% no one else you could give it to um mm-hmm. leclerc had a great weekend as well but um perez was winning yeah that's winning. the big difference there that's the big all right difference. so who's our not so driver of the day tyler uh, i mean if you gave the like, we kind of gave perez the thing for the whole weekend 
DeVries, I think, would go the opposite if your guy with, with the whole weekend or and if you had to keep someone that was on the track for the entire race at Botas, maybe like that's a rough, that's a rough race for Botas. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think it's DeVries for sure. He's our not so driver of the day. All right, Tyler, what's our radio call of the race? Okay, so I actually love this radio call of the race. I laughed for a good five minutes. Um, it was when uh, our our Canadian fellowship Lance Stroll was following along behind Alonso, and he called the racer and said, "Hey, I'm not going to attack Alonso. I'm not going to attack Alonso." And then they relayed what Stroll said to Alonso. And he said, "Hey, uh, Stroll, or sorry, Alonso, just you know, Stroll's not going to. He's not going. He says he's not going to attack you." And Stroll's immediate reaction and response was, "Well, hey, he can have a go if he wants." As yeah. in, like, come on, let's try it, kid. You think you can? Let's do it. I thought that was hilarious because it was one of those like, why is he even saying this? He knows I would destroy him if yeah. he did. So well, and they were both chasing kind of Lewis. They were both chasing Lewis, and it was kind of one of those like, okay, well, either and 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 Alonso further on and a couple laps later realized he's like, I'm not even going to attack Lewis at this point. We'll just wait till he pits because he said it in the apart. same he. Well, he said it in the same thing. He's like, well, listen, he can have a go if he wants. Yeah. And then he was just like, but we all know I'm going to catch up to Hamilton in about seven laps here. So I don't even know why yeah. he would even think yeah. about it. It was just all hilarious right. as in like the, the stroll thinking he's playing with the big boys. <laughs> and yeah. then Alonzo just being like, get out of here, kid. Okay. So that was our radio call of the race. Uh, finally, our overtake of the day. And this goes to the same guy. Yeah. It's Alonzo. Off of the restart, off of the safety car restart, he makes a double overtake on two guys who are fighting each other. It was a fantastic overtake. Wiley veteran gets him again. Yeah, I, you, you have to give this. It was kind of a dud of a, a weekend race-wise and and for this uh, Grand Prix, but that overtake was beautiful. I will say this, that the sprint race, um, Stroll had a very Alonso-esque overtake, which was very impressive to see. He would have had overtake the day if it was the sprint race. All right, that is our recap of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. <laughs> and we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayer's 85th. <laughs> Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU and me. Sayers obsessed and Kaylee's the best. MCU and me. Okay, Tyler, you know what time it is. It's time for mail. Box, box, box. Uh, so our question this week comes from Jamie. Uh, Jamie asks, "Do you think?" McLaren will turn their car around this season or is it a write-off? You've already kind of teased how you feel about this because they had a pretty good weekend, but I'm going to ask you, do you think McLaren can turn it around and get back to where they were last year competing for third or fourth? Fourth or fifth. Not third or fourth. Yeah, maybe fifth or sixth. That's for the rest. I mean, they were back on track this weekend after the upgrades. They were pitiful, probably the worst team Um before this, like for the early parts of this season, um, the sprint race they didn't do too well. Norris was 17, Piastri was 10. Um, so out of like Piastri 10 is not too, too bad, but you're not getting points in the sprint race at 10, stops at eight. Um, and then you've got a nine and 11 finish in the Grand Prix. You have to be happy about that, McLaren, after getting upgrades and then having that significant um, improvement. 
you got to think positively about it. You, you, you have to have hope if you're a McLaren fan. And I, I know the ones out there probably do. And this is a good step for them to get points after that first. And it was hyped that like upgrades, those were hyped for McLaren. So to see yeah. some, to get a point. Well, they estimate uh, that they gained almost two seconds from where they were earlier in the year. And that's huge. It's yeah. That's massive. Yeah. So but they, two were, they were, Norris, they were, they massive. were pretty dismal, pretty dismal to start the year. Uh, all right. So you Tyler. have to, you got to think that this is, they're not going to come back up to third or fourth, but they could, they're back into a conversation where they're watchable. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Just before we prep for Miami, and this is usually where we would check in on any other news and obviously it's still pretty early in the year, but we do have one interesting story. We, we learned this week that Franz Tost, who is the racing director and CEO of Alpha Tori is stepping down at the end of the season. Um, he's been with Red Bull and, and the Alpha Tori brand back when they were Toro Rosso and all the way from their inception, but he will be stepping away. And uh, they've also already announced that two different people will be taking over. Uh, one will play the role of CEO, um, former Olympic and FIA official executive, Peter Bayer. Uh, he will join the team. And then uh, in the more sort of visible traditional race weekend team principal role, we will see Scuderia Ferrari's racing director, Loren Mikas. And he, if you haven't, if you've been watching, he's the guy who they've often been cutting to uh, for the Ferrari. Whenever there's a strategy problem, they cut to him because he looks confused and a little bit lost. Um, but now he will be the racing director for Alpha Tori. So as a former Alpha Tori supporter, because you were a Gasly fan, do you think that this is a good thing? Will this improve AlphaTauri? Will they finally find a way to become an actual like competitive test team uh, for Red Bull, or will they just continue to flounder at the bottom of the table? I think this is just a move that's more Red Bull wanting to see what they have in those two guys than it is for trying to improve their team. Um, it's just going to be a more confusing look, but in blue colors when they cut <laughs> him on TV. Um yeah. I think the car is still a mess and I think that's the most important thing. So they can strategy wise do whatever they want, but the, the, they have to fix the car. Um, that being said, Sunata's kind of having a low key, good season. I think he's like 11, 11, 10, 11, 10 or something like that. Um, and finishes. So he's Sunata might be saving his career this year by right. holding that car in the middle of the pack. Uh, Cause the car does not deserve to be in the middle of the pack. All right. Well, we'll find out uh, how they do in Miami. Tyler. May 5th and 7th, one week from now. It's like it's like four days away. We're, we're almost there already. This is what's great about when you come out of the break and now you got a couple. I think we have a triple header coming up here. So uh, we're, we're off to the United States for the first of three races in the United States. They certainly wouldn't want to do them all at once for the sake of, I don't know, the environment or travel or expenses. No, no, no. Spread them out. Miami's up first. This is a bit of a dud race last year, wasn't it? I would say that's an understatement. I would say don't get too excited for the Miami Grand Prix if you're looking forward to it because last year was a snooze fest. Um, of course, it was the first race uh, in Miami. Last year's race was 5.4-kilometer circuit, 57 laps, 19 turns, three DRS zones. You'd think that would make this exciting. Um, first DRS zone between turns 9 and 11. Second is on the longest straight um, after turn 16. And then the final DRS zone leads us to our start finish line. Top speeds over 340 kilometers an hour. Um, I, cough, cough, uh, Sergio Perez. This is another street race. Um, so Verstappen. Sort of. The, sort, sort of. of. <laughs> sort of, yeah. But technically it is a street you're right, race. You're right. You're right. Um, 
that being said, last year, the drivers complained a lot about the lack of grip on this track. Anytime they got off the racing line, a lot of the guys described it as a wet feeling, very slick. Um, some guys even said that they felt like the racetrack was coming apart. Yeah, apparently um, it's been resurfaced. Yes. So we'll which, see if it improves it at all, but who knows? Yeah. So look for that early on with the practices, yeah. see what the guys are saying. Um, a lot of the complaints were also with uh, the turns 14 and 15 is the chicane they have. Drivers calling the dopey, silly. Um, yeah. So this is Miami last year qualifying. Alonzo and Russell uh, didn't make it out of Q2. Uh, Leclerc was on pole with the 128.796 lap. Um, Botas was qualified fifth last year. So he likes this track. Um, in the Grand Prix, Aston Martin started from the pit line, pit lane, both of them, for removing and adding fuel, uh, which was illegal during the times they did it. Um, the first nine laps really was kind of um, Verstappen overtook Sainz uh, on the lap starts. And then the ninth lap, he overtakes Leclerc with DRS. Um, Alonzo hit Gasly, got a five-second penalty, but then Gasly hit Norris, um, causing a spin with 40 what, four, on the 41st lap. I think there was eight laps of safety car. So 10 laps left in the race. That was the exciting part. Um, you got to see some racing, at least in those last 10 laps, but without that, um, accident, this was a very much a sleeper, um, race for Stappen ends up winning, also taking the fastest lap, um, with signs Perez coming up on the podium and then Russell Hamilton, five, six, Botas seven. Um, if you are into fantasy last year, Alex Albon finished P nine in this race. So you're looking for somebody of value of cheap, then maybe take your chance on the Williams car with uh, Alex Albon in it. Other than that, maybe, um, have some Red Bull to drink while watching this one. Yeah. Just to keep yourself awake. Uh, I believe we called this the cheap American knockoff F1 yeah. race last year. Cause it definitely didn't feel very, uh, uh, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great race. Let's just be honest no. with ourselves, but Hey, it is what it is, and that's what we got. So we'll be looking forward to that next weekend. Now, I will not be with you. You will have a very special guest host. We will leave that uh, to be a mystery until next week. Familiar face, perhaps. But until then, uh, I want to say thanks, Tyler. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Please uh, continue to submit your questions to uh, mailboxboxbox. You can do that uh, emailing us or, or texting us or tweeting us or whatever you do. Get them to us regardless, and uh, we'll try to get your questions on the show. Uh, until then, um, you can find more about this show or the other shows on the Ordinary Podcasting Network by going to our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Have a great week. We will talk to you after my end. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. 
We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.